Fantastic4.html is brought to you by the fine folks at cageclub.me. So for all things movies, music, comics, TV, and more, check out the folks at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Fantastic4.html. I, I, I don't have a cute sound effect for this yet. What's the sound of a space accident? Wom. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you might have heard a distant cosmic ray bombarding our unstable molecules with beautiful sound just now. And that's because while HTML is husbands talking more or less, we're going to put the more or less on the husbands part right now. And we're going to bring in another terrific twosome to help round out our Fantastic Four. Rejoining us is the always wonderful, ever-loved Jonah. Welcome back, George. Hello. Did you just call me George? George. George. Oh, I heard George, and I was about to say, that's not my name, but I am here, and I am an honorary husband, so hello. Hello. Hello, and with us from X's for Podcast today, we have Maddie. Flame on, and the like. You know, it's, oh, wow, flame on, yeah. Okay, they do all have catchphrases, don't they? Flame on. Flame on! It's clobbering time. It's clobbering time! I'm the girl. That's a woman for you. I was literally going to say I'm the girl. It's hard to have things for the Invisible Woman or Reed that aren't stretch. Invisible. So we've begun a journey into the Fantastic Four, and it has been kind of an eye-opening experience for Kevo and I. I've discovered a number of things I didn't know he didn't know, which was eye-opening at the very bare minimum. Before we even get into the media we'll be discussing, and we will be discussing some doozies of cartoons, I want to know... Maddie, Jonah, the Fantastic Four were Marvel's first family, introduced in November of 1963. They have one of the most storied histories, helping to contribute to all the different facets of Marvel, whether it's Marvel Science or Marvel Cosmic. Their kids even contribute to the Marvel Mutancy dilemma. So, what do you guys think of when you think of the Fantastic Four? Boring! (gasps) All jokes aside, that's not what I think of. I mainly just think of it's clobbering time. It's clobbering time! Invisible girl becoming the invisible woman and mom, and Reed Richards having beautiful salt and pepper hair. Ah, Richards. It's hot sometimes, and other times it's not. Okay, okay. It's pretty hot. Yoan Gruffith makes it hot. 
No, yeah, I definitely would think of the the early aughts uh, live action films and also the Silver Surfer. You know, and it's so fascinating because the Fantastic Four, as much as we want to limit it down to the four of them, are in many ways just as well known for their side characters, whether it's Silver Surfer. I am the Silver Surfer, Herald of Galactus. Doctor Doom, Mole Man. Nothing shall stop the Mole Man. Franklin, Valeria. There's a lot of people to love in the Fantastic Four. Does anybody here have a favorite Fantastic Four villain? Doom. So you're a Doom guy, huh? Doom. Uh, pardon me, Dr. Doom. For Doom. me, it's Doombots. Okay. I love Doombots, especially like hapless ones. See, now that we live in the age of masks, I really appreciate Doom more than ever. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Doom that. in the Iron I Mask. Do. Jonah, do you have a Fantastic Foe who just pops off the page for you? One, for me, because of my references and who I would know, is actually Super Scroll. Oh, I, I love Super Scrolls. Scrolls. Yeah. Right, Super Scroll. Mm, love me some Super Scroll. He is the bomb shit. Oh. Kevo, do you have a favorite Fantastic Foe? I really don't know any outside of Doom who is sort of like, the fifth beetle, really, he is inextricably linked with the Fantastic Four, so I don't think of him so much as a foe exactly as kind of a malignant extension in a lot of ways. When you think of a foe, you think of Daredevil facing off against Kingpin, you know? I mean, like, I kind of can't believe nobody went for my favorite Fantastic Four villain. Galactus? Galactus? <laughs> I thought you were going to say Nicholas Scratch. And if I can add a second one... You're cute. No. And if I could add a second one, Annihilus, because Annihilus lives in the negative zone and loves to go... (laughs) Instead of speaking. I know how much you love screaming. I love screaming monsters, and Annihilus is a lot of fun. But further than the Fantastic Four being a team of superheroes or people fighting, you know, costumed villains, the Fantastic Four are meant to represent us. They're meant to be an everyday family. No, no, my love. You have a cruel and savage heart. Oh, why do I love you so? And defined that way. The Fantastic Four are meant to be as relatable as Peter Parker. By holding my breath and flexing my muscles thusly. (laughs) I did it! And that always makes me wonder, when you take a look at the Fantastic Four, who do you see yourself as? Now, Jonah, I'll give you first crack because you pulled out that ridiculous Nicholas Scratch joke. Everybody knows the typical main four of Reach, Sue, Johnny, and Ben. Uh, <laughs> Ben. But there have been many members of the Fantastic Four, and I don't really see myself in any of the main four. I see myself as a She-Hulk Jen Walters. I am very on board with that. While it's unfortunate that the first few times when the Fantastic Four found themselves down a member, it was frequently Sue. Standing in for Sue from time to time were women like Medusa and Crystal, both of the Inhumans. Later on, Luke Cage would fill in here and there. But when John Byrne took on the title, She-Hulk replaced the Thing shortly after the events of Secret Wars. The She-Hulk era of Fantastic Four is one of the most beloved and even casual 
fans might recognize this iteration of the character. If you ever played Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1 or 2, She-Hulk had an unlockable Fantastic Four costume. So there are connections to it, even in modern pop culture. John Byrne, best known for writing She-Hulk, best known for writing Fantastic Four, and for expertly helping co-plot and draw the X-Men over at Marvel. Of course, he has countless DC credits as well. But yeah, I love that choice of She-Hulk. And we love Jen. We stan a Jen. Maddie, when you think Fantastic Four, who comes to mind for you? Who is your inner cosmic unstable Malika Ray? Yule. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I You know, I feel like I... Is it vanilla to say Reed? No, I mean, no. if you feel... Yeah, if you feel, like, socially put upon or, like, emotionally bedraggled at any point in your life, like, if you're like, no, I'm the person who has to hold this job together. Must say Reed! I, I a little bit feel tired by the, the rest of them. This is not kind at all to anyone in my inner circle, so I apologize, Vance. But I think that as far as the power set is concerned, I... Nobody wants me there. I am a little uncertain about how Sue's powers work and how energy projection shields <laughs> coincide with invisibility. Human Torch, I don't like being hot, so I think... Uh, I'm with Ben. I'd be so nervous I'd probably flame on and burn the joint down. I'm gonna go for my, my stretchy lift. Okay, so Maddie wants to be stretchy man, and I'm a big fan. Kevo, I've asked you this before, and I'm gonna ask you again some 17 or 18 times, but Kevo, when you reach inward to your own fantastic self, who lives in your innermost Baxter building? Well, today my feet are cold, and I liked Maddie bringing up that the Human Torch is probably always hot. So today we're going to go with Human Torch. Oh, you know, I think it's important to remember that your answer could change day to day because we are not actually the Fantastic Four. So yeah, okay, I like that. Maybe, maybe I'm only read for the day. Ooh, read for a day. That's an, that's, ooh. That, that, what sounds, a... that sounds like an education initiative. Read for a day. Oh, okay, yes, but I'm damaged. And I went with, like, everybody in the Marvel Universe is forced in a crossover to be Reed Richards for a day and have to solve everything. And it just, the pressure breaks them all, and this is like an exercise in destroying superheroes. Now, I'm into it. If I'm going to be anybody in the Fantastic Four, having said that ridiculous nonsense, it's going to be Valeria. She's the best. Valeria Richards is, of course, the youngest child of the Fantastic Four and just as smart as her daddy, and she obsessively loves her Uncle Victor. So I really just, I love Valeria too much, and I would want to be her. Reasonably speaking, I do probably see myself as more in the Reed category, but if, you know, wishes were unicorn dicks, I would get to be Valeria. I don't really know Valeria. I only know Franklin at all, and even then, not exceptionally well. Valeria is kind of the the everyman Franklin, right? She's not a mutant, but she is a super genius. Yes, she is as smart as her dad. Like, she's as smart as Franklin is powerful when Franklin has powers. Now, Jonah, you have not been the biggest fan of Franklin over in the pages of X-Men Fantastic Four, which is actually a comic book coming out right around the time of this. The Fantastic Four have received a powerful rejuvenation in-universe, which is an indication that they're going to get a powerful rejuvenation on the screen. We know that Marvel fought to secure the rights back from Fox to launch their own Fantastic Four film, film franchise prior to the Fox merger. So they've put some emphasis on the Richards family. Jonah, you have not been the biggest fan of most of it. No, there's just plenty of parts of the Fantastic Four that rub me the wrong way, whether it's the lack of initiative between Reed and Sue for their mutant son and advocacy for mutant rights. I don't even feel up to trying. 
whether it's Johnny being a womanizer that I just kind of find uncomfortable a lot of the times, and Thing, who's just the butt of the joke a little bit too many times that I'm like, Clabberanimo! And, and then there's Franklin. I think Franklin's okay. My problem is he's supposed to be this god-tier, uh, above-god-tier powerful character. They'd use the same storylines over and over again, and to me that's just repetitive and boring, and I don't really think Franklin has a character. And Valeria's just there. Oh, you take that back. Valeria She's is just, not just there, there tinkering. I'll be honest. Valeria is kind of the token creepy weird girl. She's kind of Marvel's own private Emily the Strange. I'm fine with that. I am too. Maddie, outside of... The research you put in for this, I know you mentioned that you were a fan of the Silver Surfer and there were cartoons for that growing up. But prior to this, had you intersected with the Fantastic Four's visual, like, moving media canon much? No, I I gotta be honest, I didn't. I was very touch and go with the Silver Surfer cartoon. It was all X-Men animated series. It was all Spider-Man animated series. Tremble before the menace of Magneto. I can I can I change my answer? Can I be Herbie? Oh, oh, well. Because I don't I don't think there's a long line of people just waiting to chop at the bit to be And hard disagree. I don't think you could have walked us to where we needed to be on the blue area of the moon any better than with that transition. Today we're going to be taking a look at the origins of Fantastic Four cartoons as they ran as far away from quality at times as they could. The Fantastic Four first made their debut in cartoon form in 1967. They then came back in 1978 to the new Fantastic Four. 1979 brought us Fred and Barney meet the Thing. The Human Torch been mysteriously left out of the new Fantastic Four cartoon, these cartoons kind of represent why maybe perhaps the Fantastic Four just can't get a foothold in in popular culture. There's no better place to start than with 1967's The Fantastic Four. The fantastic, fantastic, fantastic world of the Fantastic Four. This was in an age of Marvel cartooning that was designed to get these characters out there. When I think about the best editors-in-chief that Marvel ever had, one of the names that has to come to mind is Joe Quesada. Joey Q put the idea of character first. He had the idea that character bred popularity. You didn't always need to jam Deadpool down people's faces, but if Deadpool was in a cartoon, it would catch on. A couple of years before Luke Cage and Iron Fist got their own Netflix TV shows, they began appearing in Ultimate Spider-Man. As if to say, 11-year-olds, we want to get you familiar with the next generation of heroes so that when you have buying power at 16, there's an ability to make that move. Marvel had already seen the potential there and had put a number of their more popular titles into very cheap form animation. There was Namor, the Fantastic Four, and Thor, just to name a few. Now true, Marvel Comics had forayed into live-action films with a 1940s Captain America series a 10-ton blockbuster. But this was the first real attempt by Marvel to create a multimedia foothold. Kevo, when I asked you to be part of this project, I don't know that you ever could have imagined the breathtakingly uh, clips we got to watch of that 1967 cartoon. Oh, it's a lot to process. It is. They're not great, but so much of it requires putting in context the history of this when you pointed out that Fantastic Four started in 1963 and this cartoon came out in 1967, the comic had only been around for four years and it was getting an ABC cartoon at a time when not everybody even owned a television in their home. 
we think that this looks really campy and silly by comparison to modern standards. The very sight of that sign offends me. And whatever Magneto finds offensive must always be destroyed. But that's sort of the case with a lot of media over time they age. It's one of the reasons why, as much as I have always been the hugest fan of the original Gargoyles cartoon series, I would much rather we get the creative team back and do a reimagining with today's animation than continue an original series from 25 years ago, because I understand these things really become dated. At the time, these 20 episodes must have seemed like blockbusters to the people that were creating them, because it was a chance to adapt their work to a screen and how exciting it must have been for the 60s. And you can see how hard they try to craft something meticulous. Maddie, you're an artist just like we are. You've contributed to our comic work before and it had to be jarring. If even I can tell that some of these were just frames rewound and played forward again over and over to simulate <laughs> punching. This had to burn your retinas. You know, I, I had the chance to watch a lot of the clips with uh, the three uh, together, all of us actually. And Kevo said something that stood out to me. He said that they are so clearly trying to do so much. Many of our listeners probably don't know this about me, and Maddie, you're probably hearing this for the first time, Kevin O'Neill, I'm sure I've brought this up at least once. I was a huge fan of the 1960 Scooby-Doo cartoon. I loved it to death, and I've seen so many episodes. And watching clips of the Fantastic Four cartoon, I did, did a little research and now, I, I knew, uh, seeing through the logos, that the Fantastic Four cartoon appeared on Boomerang, Cartoon Network's older syndication network. The Fantastic Four cartoon was also produced by Hanna-Barbera. And that's when I realized why I liked it so much, in that super over-the-top ridiculousness of a cartoon that we don't see anymore, I think is why I loved it. It was just so weird and bizarre, and you have to just stare at it in awe, shock, confusion, anger, and a little bit of, like, pizzazz, that you're like, someone made this? There's almost a sort of beauty, though, in the minimalism, uh, like how much they were able to get away with just by, like, zooming in more tightly on a stationary image. It's admirable, for sure. Yeah, just just make a couple of lights blink, and suddenly one frame of art is good for at least ten seconds. Oh, yeah. Because the voice work does so much here. The voice work is so admirable here. You know, and I, I definitely want to, to Jonah's credit, say that watching this cartoon, it was so clear, so evident that it was Hanna Barbera produced, and I think that's oh yeah, that's much to their much to their credit, just for especially for the time with art being what it was and moving pictures being what they were, but you. Know, moving pictures ah. um they they definitely did a lot to establish a a recognized and homogenized brand i went to riff on you doing that voice and be from cora and then i went to say what was the name of the movie that bolin made nip tuck wait nip tuck nip tuck <laughs> oh my god hero of the southeast i am <gasps> desperate for ryan murphy's nuck tuck and 
Nip Tuck, Legend of the Slice Bender. Oh. So <clears throat> I feel like with the Scooby-Doo Hanna-Barbera cartoons, there's kind of a sense of like, yikes, Scoob! And like, there's kind of this kind of spinning legs running in motion but here they don't know to be funny yet so it's a lot of stuff like doom going like oh your famous force field drat hmm bye the thing dies first then you torch and now the girl you promised what is going on he does not die and like running out the door if I can, if I can share my favorite one from the 1967 Fantastic Four cartoon with everybody, Mole Man is holding a trigger on a on a very short uh, cable, and it's attached to what looks like a wall-mounted rotary phone. And he's like, "Now nah, with this, I'm going to blow up the world." And Sue, barely invisible, <laughs> softly removes it from his hand and just tugs on it like six times until <laughs> it comes off the wall. And he's like, "No." <laughs> This is pretty, this is the height of conflict that we were dealing with. May I add, Super Scroll transforming into a bird, flying away, saying, Yeah, you'll never catch me, Fantastic Four, to then Reed stretching his arm and grabbing him by the throat. And pulling, so him, pulling him down is one of the funniest things I have ever seen. Because you just hear the squat. Well, I really need to point out that that is not just some little moment. That's actually, like, fucking famous. They convince the Skrulls to become cows and make them believe that they really are cows in their first appearance early in Fantastic Four, like Fantastic Four number two. Years later, those cows would be ground up for hamburger and cause people to mutate. So Mark Millar, Grant Morrison, and Steve Yull created the Skrull Kill Crew, who, yeah, yeah. They, uh, they are humans modified by eating scroll-infected beef, and they go out of their way to stop bad scrolls. Yikes. So they are, they're, they're part scroll, though. Kind of, yeah. Kind of like that scene in Hulk, where Stan Lee Hulk drinks puppies. the, drinks the, the soda. Oh, no, see, I went Hulk puppies. No, sadly, this is not as exciting as Hulk puppies, but it's got Grant Morrison's name on it. However, this is before Grant Morrison and Mark Millar had their famous falling out. So this is after Grant Morrison relied on Mark Millar to help him finish The Invisibles Volume 1. And I just think it's notable that they were a very good friendship in comics that has since dissolved. One thing that stood out to me, especially in looking at doing a little bit of the, the research behind what, what wasn't readily available for like full visual consumption, I, I was amazed at just how much of the rogues gallery of Fantastic Four villains were utilized in the show. As Kevo had mentioned, which was only four years after the creation of, of the book itself, uh, you have Galactus, Atuma, Molecule Man, Diablo, Mole Man, you have the Skrulls, you have Silver Surfer. I mean, it's it really is pretty tremendous and, and definitely a big accomplishment for 20 episodes. And, Absolutely. you know, because it was the early years, you had people like Kragoff and it's like, oh, okay, Blast Star. Not real. Well, okay. Well, but okay. Okay, but some of us have a real soft spot for negative zone villains and love us some Blastar. Okay. Who was the one who turned the New York Public Library lion and brought it to life? Molecule Man. 
Thank you. Yes. I couldn't remember. That is Molecule Man's M.O. It really stuck out in my head the way he shouts, I release you, Simba, because that's one of those really amazing things where, like, Simba's just a word that means lion, so it was frequently a word used to mean lion before the Lion King, but it feels like the kind of thing that someone would demand be cut from a Mad Men script because it would come across as anachronistic. And I love seeing shit like that actually from history to be like, people don't even realize where that comes from. Oh, and I, I really love that that point. I think that's really fair. Oh, and on a Disney note, voice actor Paul Fries from the Haunted Mansion attraction was the voice of the thing in this cartoon. That's incredible. You know, there was not there was not a lot of quality to this experience, but not for lack of trying. Like we said, the biggest problem with this is it was limited by its capabilities. They barely knew better, and it was certainly a sticky situation trying to navigate brand new adaptations of brand new material. 1978, however, you have no excuses. No... The 1978 Fantastic Four is a strange cartoon, if for no other reason. The Fantastic Four are, of course, Reed, who is elastic, Sue, Ken, make from sight. The Thing does love to fight, but instead of Johnny the Human Torch, they have a little robot pal named Herbie, and it is supposedly because there was fears that children would light themselves on fire seeing the Human Torch. I get it. Kids are dumb. They went with something as catchy as the humanoid experimental robot B-pipe integrated electronics. I want to make sure they work so hard. Right? There's there there is a comma, two commas. Jonah, you're not the biggest fan of Johnny, and I'm kind of surprised because you love charming playboys who can be emotionally broken. You do. I would think you would have like a mat on for the flame on, but instead you see him for the manipulative kind of second rate Lothario that he tends to be. How did you feel having him replaced by a Roomba? Wonderful. Um, excited, <laughs> exacerbated, um, illuminated, uh, all these eight different words. First of all, Herbie is not a Roomba. Herbie is a lot more along the lines of the Emilio robot from the late nineties, early two thousands. I was thinking either Rob or Wally. I see Wally. <laughs> My problem with Johnny is I never, I've never seen those emotional, you know, sides. There are plenty of characters who exhibit exhibit the same qualities of being charming, you know, open with their sexuality, confident, you know, gets around and is safe for the most part. Those are characters I do enjoy, but I personally have never really seen those emotional sides of Johnny where he's been, you know destroyed emotionally or physically and it's just never come up i would not mind seeing johnny destroyed physically i'm just saying i get that chris evans in that towel with but everywhere from the first movie the first popular movie as it is we have seen the roger corman fantastic four which did come first and chris evans was not in that though Keep an eye out for a quick spot for Mercedes McNabb. But yeah, there's a lot of mental image to the Human Torch being this sex object because it was Chris Evans and that body. You know, it, and it's so funny because back in 2005, it was that body. But you look back and and, and you're like, wow, wow. He is like his, it's like a Russian stacking doll of Chris Evans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like, he a, tra- he's like a 
He's like a Captroshka. You know, can I take a minute to say that I think it's such a tremendously wasted opportunity with Herbie to not have used the original Human Torch from 1939, Jim Hammond? Because, Absolutely. Because he is an android. He's he's an android created by Phineas Huh, Ford. yeah. And, and so he literally would be the android stand-in for the Human Torch. And he is one of the most beloved classic characters from that era, alongside characters like Namor, who are inextricable from the Fantastic Four as a cultural entity. Though, I do have to wonder if it's one of those situations where it's hard to get everybody on board with certain rights ownerships back in the day. It was tricky to just fucking agree who owned something. And I'm I'm sure it wasn't very easy to argue the same name for two separate characters and come out the victor. True. Speaking of people with the same name, I'm only disappointed that... Frankie Ray couldn't have made her appearance. You know, and this is going to be the third one I've chosen this episode, but I did say, I did think that I wanted to be Frankie Ray if I had to choose anybody because her Herald of Galactus outfit is fantastic. Oh my god, when she's Nova, when she is human torch there is no bad version of frankie ray but what's really funny is what made me think of her out of nowhere is that she's actually connected to the other human torch and phineas t horton so it's that her stepfather created the original human torch and then made her into the human torch as well i oh wait no that's still the setting on fire problem i see how yours fixes it and mine is just teaching people to set women on fire got it got it no got it but got that it. that could have flown for 1978 literally just I mean, worse if, because because little girls are too busy doing home economics Girls know a lot better how to keep from catching on fire because they work with ovens all the time. And here's something fascinating about catching on fire. It's very possible that her father was biologically Thomas Raymond, who went by the name Toro, also by the name Flaming Kid, Flame Kid, and Toro the Fire-Eating Boy, when he was the Human Torch's sidekick back in the 1940s. I would have been so much happier to see Toro the Fire-Eating Boy than I am to see Herbie. I've really been craving buffalo wings lately, so I would love to be the fire-eating boy. And it's so important to note that we're not just talking about a character here that sat in for a better-known character. No, no, no. Herbie wound up making his way into the Marvel fucking universe. Herbie would appear in the world-renowned John Byrne run of Fantastic Four from 1979 to 1980. He would then pop back up a few times over the years before having a decent-sized run in Marvel Knight's Four, written by a favorite of this show, Roberto Aguirre Sarcasa. We are big fans of his here on this show, so it was really great to see him get used there. Of course, Matt Fraction made great use of him in his FF and Fantastic Four, and Herbie has continued to appear under the pen of Dan Slott for almost a decade. Thank goodness. Guys, I can't wait to have you back. But until we come back, Maddie, where can everybody find you? You can find me over on Instagram at, at the basically covetous man. Jonah, where can everybody find you? On Twitter and Instagram at peak Jonah. Kevin, this 
this project has been the best kind of disaster from the start. And as always, I love doing this shit with you. Where can everybody find you when you're not right next to me? Twitter and Instagram at Kev O'Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. You can also find the amazing, fun, exciting, diverse superhero stories Nico and I have been telling over at KidRideComics.com. Nico, where can the folks at home find you? You guys can find me, as always, all over this amazing network on shows like X's for Podcast, all over HTML, and Kevo and I both on this coming lap of Too Fast, Too Forever with Joey and Joe 2. It has just begun, and it is already some of the most fun I've ever had on this network. You guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, ladies and gentlemen, until we return, keep those rays cosmic.